and welcome to Kiwi Rider Podcast. My name is Ray Heron, and for this episode, we are going international. We're going from here in New Zealand right across the Pacific. We're going to catch up with the one of the hosts of RevZilla's uh, High Side Low Side Podcast, a fellow podcaster. He's also a daily rider, and you might have seen him uh, as part of CTXP as well with Ari Henning. We are catching up with Zach Courts. Hello, Zach, and welcome. Thank you very much for taking the time to have a chat today. Absolutely. Thank you, Ray. It's uh, it, I think this is my first international podcast experience too, maybe. I'll have to think about that, but I'm, I'm excited. I, uh, I, I kind of got the idea listening to your High Side Low Side podcast when you talked to uh, Ryan F9 and I thought, I wonder if they'd be keen to have a chat with us here. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. So you, 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 uh, you, you called my BS right off the bat. I have done international podcasting before. Come to think of it, well, what with having a Canadian on the, I but that's not really the same. You know, it's sort of like continent, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. This is yeah transcontinental, um, yeah transoceanic. So this is much more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's kick things off at the start. Um, the first question. Now we did open up a lot of our questions to our uh, social media community. A lot of people here in New Zealand and a few of our listeners in Australia and expats around the world very interested to hear uh, where you started. So think back to back in the day. When was the first time you got a leg over a bike? What was it? What was the situation? Mm. Um, so my my dad bought a Suzuki RM80, um, which is a little 80cc motocross bike for for children. Um, when I was eight years old, I think, um, and I believe it was a Christmas present from my parents, uh, and it was a proper handful. Uh, it was not a very good bike for a little kid and not a very good bike for a little kid who doesn't know how to ride very well, because as anyone who's ridden a two stroke knows, they're pretty, they're kind of ornery sometimes. And, um, and so it put me on my head a couple of times. And then my dad bought, uh, what I sort of remember as my first bike, which is a, which is a Honda XR 80, which is a four stroke 80 CC dirt bike, but a little bit less extreme, a little bit less, um, volatile from a, from a, a power delivery standpoint, that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, those are sort of my two first bikes and, and yeah, I grew up on a farm and 35 acres of land in in the middle of uh, Vermont, which is in the Northeast of, uh, of the United States, new England, we call it not to be confused with old England. And we, yeah, we sort of, uh, bounced around the, the farm on, on these bikes. And that's sort of where I learned to ride. It was, uh, it was a, an adventurous youth of just sort of bopping around and trying not to crash into the pond and that kind of thing. And, and when did you start thinking about uh, motorcycle journalism, content creation as a job, as a career path? Mm, good question. Uh, probably high school, but but I and I did when I went to to college to university. I I chose print journalism as my major. You know, my focus, which is a sort of a hilarious thing to do in the late 2000s there whatever or i guess mid 2000s or 2005 2004 um because you know print as is going away in a way that everyone i think is um aware of so uh but of course learning how to write i always figured would be a good thing to do regardless of my career so i, I figured that would be good and also i was and still am just horrible at math and science i'm just I, i'm useless so I, I think i would have been the world's worst engineer and probably unemployable come to think of it if i if i had even passed my classes so um i learned I, I figured writing was what i would focus on and i always assumed that motorcycle journalism would be sort of a retirement plan you know once i um i don't know i got married and had kids and the kids went to college and i had less uh financial pressure on myself i thought oh you know you know when i'm 60 or 65 then i'll start writing articles about motorcycles and that'll be a fun way to sort of wind down um a a, a sparkling career in marketing or whatever the heck else i figured i would do um but i had an opportunity cropped up in my mid-20s to to try my hand at it and and i couldn't turn it down so that's how it came to be and that was with uh motorcyclist magazine are we allowed to speak about correct that? Correct. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that was, I did it, you know, at the end of my college career, I did a bunch of soliciting, I guess, of magazines, just sending in articles and, you know, finding writing competitions or sending my resume to magazines and, and publishing houses, whatever, and saying, Hey, I want to be a motorcycle journalist. And, um, 
and uh and i guess that was around the time when i did not get any callbacks when i <laughs> when i was not offered a job um that was around the time that i figured okay well i guess this is just my retirement plan now and i'll do what i have to do um uh but yeah i moved to california uh, unbeknownst to each other about the same time as Ari henning um and he sort of uh weaseled his way in the door at motorcyclist magazine around 2009 i think 2008 2009 um and we reconnected around then and um by the time it was 2010 or 11 i started doing little sort of short pieces you know i'd review a set of gloves or a um i would just um fly down for the weekend and visit him and you know be an extra rider for a photo shoot that kind of thing like it wasn't it wasn't particularly glamorous but it was fun and we got to ride together and that kind of thing and then a, a position opened up uh, in 2012 on staff at motorcyclist and and um and i actually coincidentally was unemployed i'd been laid off by a the uh, sort of corporate <laughs> entity that i was working for at the time and so the the stars aligned and i took the job now you mentioned Ari hitting you guys kind of go back to your childhood i understand mm yes so his dad and my dad raced in the same club same vintage motorcycle road racing club when we were kids so we would uh yeah we were sort of track rats together you know anyone anyone who uh has been to a race you always see the 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 racers kids oftentimes you know burning the day away doing wheelies on bicycles or making jumps out of dirt or just otherwise causing trouble and that's what we did uh so yeah he and i were were um were friends at the racetrack as as young as i don't know yeah six eight ten years old anyway by then surely um we would hang out in the summers and go to and uh and and terrorize racing paddocks together <laughs> um and then sort of fell out of touch in our teens because it was before facebook and it was i don't know we were distracted by school or girls or something who knows uh, maybe both um and then yeah ended up ended up in the same ended up moving to california around the same time and um he spotted my name somewhere and looked me up and sent me an email and and um and yeah and we just sort of reconnected in our in our 20s in this in this uh, career, if you can call it that. <laughs> so around about 2012, you were working for Motorcyclist Magazine, mainly writing. How did, how did the transition into YouTube happen? Was that more of a, we, we feel this is a way to go or? Right. Good question. Uh, and it's, uh, I'll try and keep the story short <laughs> because it's, it's uh, not terribly interesting, but basically YouTube, um, in the early, in the early ish days of YouTube, they, as a company were paying large, uh, uh, content creators, large companies, publishing houses, that kind of thing to make videos and, um, uh, motor trend, the motor trend group, um, as it, as it was in that era anyway, um, was owned by a company called source interlink media, which doesn't exist anymore. The point is, uh, YouTube started funding these, these places. So motor trend magazine, the big car magazine, if, um, the, for those that aren't familiar, and they basically said, we want you to make car content, make, make, uh, YouTube shows about cars, you know, about, about driving trucks off road and about driving sports cars on racetracks and about anything that you want to do, come up with some ideas and, and, and the, the money is there to get this bump started because YouTube wanted it to itself to be a destination for people to go. And motorcyclist magazine was part of the same group as motor trend. So they said, make a motor one, one of the 10 shows, I think, or nine shows or something like that was supposed to be a motorcycle show. Um, and it was called on two wheels anything onto anything two wheeled just do anything and and the and the group of magazines you know some whoever was in charge at the time figured oh we have a bunch of you know we have dirt rider and we have um what is it? I don't know, american v twin magazines and and um and dirt bike magazines and and motorcyclist magazine and and sport rider and all these other um brands that exist already and 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 quote unquote experts <laughs> so we can make a motorcycle show so we started doing that here and there and they would sometimes they would go to the sport rider staff and they'd make a, a show about sport bikes and sometimes they'd go to american v twin magazine and they would make a that kind of show um dirt bikes etc and Ari and i just sort of ended up gravitating toward the 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 young guy that they hired to make these shows and we did more of them than anyone else um and then when then we got kind of hooked on it and we realized that the youtube thing was uh, was was worthwhile and when our magazine got sold off to another company we we begged the 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 publishers and the people in charge to hire a videographer because we knew we had this sort of like brand that had been sold with motorcyclist magazine in the in the sale of the other magazines on two wheels so we said we have this brand and we have most of what we need to do we just need someone to 
to help create it. <laughs> uh, and so they hired a, 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 this young guy, Spencer Robert, who um, was pretty fresh out of, out of college. And, um, and that relationship with the three of us, Ari and Spencer, myself, we've sort of, we did on two wheels and then uh, ended up doing a show for, um, for the Motor Trend On Demand channel, ironically, because sort of circled back to that group and then now at Revzilla. Wow. Uh, and so, so I, I said I was going to keep it short, but I didn't. I apologize for that. I, th- I think that is actually the short version. I apologize. Well, it's, it's still very <laughs> interesting. Um, so uh, the shows that you do now, uh, I'm thinking more the CTXP stuff. Um, and is it still the three of you? Do you have more people? What's the story there? Largely the three of us. Yes, we have help hundred percent. We have, um, there's a, there's a fellow that works in our West coast office here in California that, uh, is a, is an editor that, that edits video with Spencer. So he helps sync footage and, and, um, work on the post-production side. We also often hire a freelance friend of ours who is into motorcycles, uh, and works in sort of the more and works in Hollywood sort of works in, in show business as a camera operator, but he likes motorcycles. So he hangs out with us and helps us shoot. So Spencer, he and Spencer will shoot most of the CTXP episodes. Um, and then we do have some help with from our lovely coworkers at Revzilla. We have some help like with pre-production stuff, planning and logistics and that kind of thing, which makes a, a big difference because we're not uh, particularly talented with <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, and it's also a big lift when you when you you know when you try to ride two small Hondas across Alaska. Um, it turns out it's pretty hard to even get that trip off the ground. No pun intended. <laughs> now, if our viewers and listeners haven't checked it out already, head along to uh, YouTube, search out the Revzilla channel, um, check out the CTXP episodes. Now, you, you mentioned uh, small Hondas, a CT90 and a CT110 across Alaska. You've done some other cool stuff like building the bike from Dumb and Dumber and recreating that trip. Right. That was that was a hoot. That was something that we had in mind um, for, for a long time um, was was yeah sort of you know that iconic scene in dumb and dumber what would it be like to actually take that trip uh across across the middle of the united states on a mini bike with uh, a pull start mini bike with no suspension and we did it so yeah if you haven't seen it please do check it out it's uh the both of those adventures were, were were pretty wild and we also do sort of more motorcycle centric stuff as well we um the most recent one that came out was a sport touring performance episode where we took sort of the fastest bikes we could find that come from the factory with saddlebags and we took them to a racetrack and we tested them against um a sport bike and um Let's see what else have we done. We did a, a cheap adventure challenge where we did a, a Royal Enfield Himalayan and a, a, a CSC RX4, which is like a sort of Chinese-made uh, 450cc liquid-cooled single that you can get. You can get both bikes for 4,500 American dollar, 5,000 bucks, something like that, which is um, fairly cheap over here. So we did a little cheapskate escape episode. I don't know. You're anyway, yeah. If you haven't seen the, the um, Christmas trees, I found really interesting. Right. Right. Yeah, we did. We did a uh, ride into the woods, chop down a Christmas tree and bring it back on a motorcycle, which um, turned out to be a, a kind of a questionable, uh, you know, endeavor. But that's sort of what CTXP is all about is uh, is, um, yeah, getting getting ourselves into into kind of sticky and weird situations in the hopes that it it uh, exposes um, the, the audience to something in motorcycling that they weren't expecting or inspires them to go do on a, a trip themselves or at least you get entertained. That's the. Uh, that's that's the idea and yeah to to answer your question that's all um ari and spencer myself basically um the the we do have that one extra shooter our friend andrew who comes along for a lot of them but the the christmas trees on adv's one and the cheapskate adventure a cheapskate escape one i mentioned um spencer actually shot those all by himself entirely just a one-man crew he was on a motorcycle with us and um so if you haven't seen those and you're about to watch them keep it keep that in mind i'm always i don't know uh, he's, he's a good friend of mine and, uh, and I'm very impressed with him as a professional, but keep that in mind as you're watching some of those that, uh, that some of them were shot by a one, one person on a motorcycle alone. And which is in my opinion, pretty impressive. Absolutely. I mean, having done, uh, a few minor kind of adventures with my co-host, uh, Matthew Day Gillett here on the podcast and, mm-hmm. and just being yeah. the two of us trying to film and record a podcast and get all that content together. Um, it really brings a new, um, uh, admiration to the work that you guys do because uh, you managed to stitch together a very well formulated story and keep that interest all the way through right well that's mostly that's mostly spencer uh he is um 
he is a motorcycle enthusiast and a lifelong rider but also uh went to film school and is a is a complete movie buff and um so he's very very um interested and, and enthusiastic and and uh and and high energy about making sure that you get the right shots and you edit it all together and it works it's cohesive and um which i would say we don't always achieve but he's he, uh any any of it that we do is on him for sure <laughs> hey um what drives you to do the work that you do now well good question i i, I don't know that anyone's ever asked it that way um i mean it's pretty good work if you can get it if we're honest i'm i'm lucky to be paid to do what i do um so i think that you know what drives me to do it is the is the is the joy of riding really and i i want to pe i want people to feel that same joy so i try to um i try to emote that in my writing in in videos um uh, whether they're small you know low production videos or they're big ctxp episodes uh i I and we, I think, just want people to enjoy motorcycles and have fun and, and, and experiment uh, with the different facets of motorcycling and whether you're getting to work or you're traveling or whatever you're doing. Um, so I, I try to just be as good an ambassador or as good an example as I feel like I can be for what um, motorcycles can bring to your life because for me, they've, they've brought a lot. Great answer too. Um, Daily Rider, this is your other show on Revzilla. Um, and, yes, sir. And it is literally just you on your way to work, as I understand it. What's the process for, for you uh, for reviewing a bike and how do you formulate your opinions that you're, you're putting across in that show? Right. Yep. Yeah. So that's a much uh, smaller, smaller ball of wax there, Daily Rider, which is, yeah, essentially just a GoPro on the chin of my helmet and I. I, I talk as I ride and, um, and the idea is it's supposed to be a very unfiltered review of the bike and it's not, um, formal, but it's also, you know, because it's so casual, people hopefully get a, a better idea of what it actually feels like to ride the bike. And as far as the process, I mean, I just, I try to spend as much time as I can on the bike and, um, sometimes it's only, I don't know, a couple tanks of gas or something like that. You know, it's, it's it, sometimes the, the, the loans are short. We only have bikes for a few days or something like that. Um, but basically I just try to, immerse myself as much as I can in the experience of, of riding the bike and using it in its appropriate, uh, you know, in, in its commensurate environment, you know? So if it's a, if it's a sporty bike, I go to sporty roads. If it's an adventure bike, I try and, you know, slam down a dirt road somewhere or jump it off something. <laughs> um, and just try and do as much research as I can get, get some fuel mileage figures so people know what to expect and live, you know, sit on the seat for hours on end at least so that I can say with confidence that it's comfortable or it's not. Um, and, but at the end of the day, it's a, it's a pretty quick snapshot of a, of a bike really, you know, like I don't, I don't live with it for a year and change the oil a bunch of times and stuff like that. So it's, I, I, I only have the bikes for short periods of time, but I try to be as diligent and as sort of complete as I can so that when people watch the show or, or listen to it or whatever they do, they, they get a good sense of what it would be like to actually use the bike day to day. Now you own a KTM famously you're hanging on to it. What, yes. what is your favorite kind of bike? Do you have a favorite? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, these are big questions. I think I am, I am drawn in my heart of hearts to road racing, high performance, you know, sport bikes, because I have a road racing background and that's sort of, you know, MotoGP riders have always been my heroes, that kind of thing. That said, but, you seem pretty handy on an adventure bike as well. Well, I, you know, I think part of that's growing up on a farm in Vermont and, you know, I, I didn't really have my tires on pavement until I was 16. You know, I spent half my life in the dirt basically before I was, I was allowed to ride on pavement, uh, legally. So, um, or half my motorcycling life, I should say at that point, which was, which was half of my actual life. And I think, um, whenever people ask me what I would actually get, you know, whether I live in Los Angeles or I live wherever, I think. I, truth be told, if I had to, if it was like gun to my head, you have to have one type of bike for the next five years or 10 years or something like that. I, I think adventure bikes are pretty hard to argue with. And then that, that is the, you know, the, 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 the broad sphere of things you can do with an adventure bike. I, I so appreciate. And I mean, they're great to ride to work. They're fun on a twisty road. You can, 
you can chuck them down a hillside some of them and pick them up and keep riding them and i i love that aspect of i think it encapsulates the sort of um the the essence of what people love about motorcycles in a very modern way um and so i guess yeah like i said if i had if i had to choose a bike or a type of bike it would be adventure bikes but i do have a calling for high performance and you know dragging my knee around a racetrack does that mean something like uh the tenere 700 compared to the r7 that's kind of where you would i mean i'm showing my blue blood in every single episode of this podcast i show my <laughs> blue blood i've got a tenere 700 and i ride it daily mm-hmm. um and you probably saw from the email address I contacted you from T7 Adventures. Um, <laughs> yes. But I mean, that kind of, you know, where Yamaha are going with that CP2 engine, putting it in the sports yep. bike, put it in the Adventure, put it in the Lambs MT-07. Is that, is that a good fit? Yes. You mean, uh, like, is, is, would that, is that my, my potential blue-blooded dream garage to have a T7 and an R7? Is yeah, that, is that exactly. the question? <laughs> yeah, I think I think the R7 is great. Um, I t- I've ridden it on a racetrack. I've ridden it to work. Um, it's not especially comfortable, but every every good sport bike is not particularly comfortable. And I thought it was a hoot on a racetrack. And actually, in honor of 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 you, to a certain extent, I want you to know that I rode I rode a Tenere 700 uh, home today from the office um, before this before this interview. So I'm I'm freshly steeped in Tenere 700. Ooh. Uh, is that, is that an yeah, insight exactly. as to what we can see coming out content wise? <laughs> um, I actually think I already did a Tenere 700 on Daily Rider. Yes. So, uh, so it's not coming to Daily Rider. No, uh, we have, we actually have a Tenere 700 in-house for um, an adventure event that we're doing in California, the Get On Adventure Fest. Um, so uh, Ari and I and Spencer and uh, and Spurgeon and uh, Jen, Brandon and Patrick, all the other people you might see on the RevZilla channel are going to be out riding adventure bikes around. So that's why we have the T7. And and um, and I was happy to see it in the garage. I, 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 I nabbed the key and, and rode home. It's a, it, it is a, it's a good bike for sure. Um, think about your experiences, the different bikes that you've ridden. Um, now this this question could be taken two ways what's the best experience you've had when reviewing a bike or what's the most memorable experience you've had hmm wow um well i think i think that one one thing that one experience that comes up very often when uh this type of question is asked is uh an aprilia rsv4 1100 event that i attended at the mugello circuit in tuscany in italy and uh it just so happened that ari and i were both able to go to this event which is not typical um and we spent at least a couple of sessions on this track uh, reviewing a superbike, as is our job as is our lease in life but basically you know riding around this sort of cathedral of road racing and uh, a famous famous place on a very fast motorcycle you know going 200 miles an hour down this straightaway uh these sort of like hallowed corners and um and and at the end of the day i felt good about the review that i produced about that bike um and I, I felt like I did my job well, but it was also one of the one of the more memorable things that I've ever done, uh, in part because I was able to share it with a friend, uh, someone, you know, we rode, like I said, we rode bicycles around in the paddock when we were little kids. We 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 jumped little dirt bikes together. We, we fell off. We watched each other <laughs> cry and bleed um, and have had this joy of riding our whole lives. And um, so to sort of go down the front straightaway at Mugello on a $25,000 superbike, you know, playing tag with each other at 200 miles an hour was um, kind of uh, fun, but that also doesn't, that's sort of a two-dimensional word, you know, it's it, the, the, it's the type of fun that um, most people don't ever get to have, frankly. Um, you don't get to have those experiences with people that you care about, doing something that you care about in a place uh, that so many other people have cared about. Um, I love that so, answer because it also yeah. illustrates that, it, that that what we do, uh, not just as journalists, but as motorcyclists, is more than just the machine we're riding. It's the company right. we keep and the passion we share at the same time. Sure. I mean, I mean the. I, I think. I do you have the the term bench racing 
in New Zealand? Is that something you guys say? I haven't heard it. Okay. So bench racing is a, is sort of, uh, uh, yeah, basically it's sitting around chewing the fat about things that you've done or things you'd like to do or things that you did, you know, um, motorcycling wise. And I think that that's such a big part of the culture, right? Is the, is the community. And, and another, if you distill the word community into what it means for people, it's sharing things with other people, right? You know, you, you, you and I are having a conversation now because of motorcycles. Um, and, and whether you're best friends or your, or your new friends, um, doing stuff with other people and, and having that sort of mutual appreciation for what you're doing and, and what you care about is, yeah, like you said, it's a, that's, that's such a big piece of, of what we do. Absolutely. Do you get many bike trips in that don't involve content, don't involve a camera just for you sort of thing? Hmm. Good question. No, not really. Um, and it's something I need to be better about. Uh, it, it's a, I almost never go on a, a, a quote unquote Sunday ride, you know, um, because I often find myself on a weekend enjoying hanging out with, um, you know, friends who recently had a, had a baby and taking a walk and talking about sports and weather and travel and so stuff that's not motorcycles because I spend my whole week talking about that, um, which is sort of the, the, the darker side maybe, or the, or the double-edged sword at least of, of being a professional motorcycle person is that you sometimes want to escape it, but inherently you're escaping something that you love. Um, so I don't do a lot of trips that don't involve a camera, but I do, um, make a point sometimes to, and I mean, I, I still love motorcycles. I still will take my personal motorcycle to the grocery store to get, you know, like, oh, all I need to get is, you know, these few things. Well, I'm just going to take my bike because I know it's going to be fun and I'm not making a video. I'm not doing any research, but I am going to have fun because I, at the end of the day, I love riding. So, um, I, I, um, the, the trips that don't involve like actual big journeys that don't involve content are few and far between, but I do still have a, it's still that the passion still burns in a way that's, um, that's, that's noticeable and notable, I think. Brilliant. Uh, when you're not riding then, uh, you're not creating content, you're not doing motorcycle stuff. What sort of hobbies do you have? What do you even do? Oh, um, I, um, I historically, I haven't, uh, since the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, a couple years ago, it's been very sporadic, but historically I play, uh, rec league soccer. So I play like, you know, men's league soccer, um, football. I think it's football in New Zealand. Is that right? Yeah, probably. Yeah. But soccer, Bro- we still know what it is. <laughs> you still know what it is. Gotcha. So my wife, uh, played soccer in college. I played soccer in college. So we, um, we, um, we're, we're international soccer fans. Um, so we watch, uh, we, we watch a fair amount of soccer and I historically ever since college basically played uh, men's league soccer. Um, uh, I like, uh, I like all stick and ball sort of like regular sports in general, baseball, golf. Uh, I play a bit, I play a bit of golf when I can. Um, and, uh, yeah and and I, I don't know pedal a bicycle or um i'd be outside one of the nice things about southern california where we live is um is that it's pretty um pretty agreeable weather all the time so um you, there's usually something you can be doing going on a going on a hike a, when in the pandemic my wife got really into hiking she started booking hikes all over all over southern california so we were driving almost every weekend to go on some to get to the top of some peak um so yeah, I usually just sort of exercising whether I'm chasing the ball or not is um, is what I'm up to. <laughs> now, one of our questions that came in uh, on social media, and I know that I've seen, and I'm pretty sure it was in your motorcyclist magazine days, you and Ari came to uh, to went to Australia, and I think it was uh, the new yes. Jixer at the time. Yes. Have you been to New Zealand? No, sir, um, and. It's on the list. Ari actually, Ari has been in New Zealand, so I should I should throw that out there. I believe he honeymooned there, uh, so um, he has been. I have not been ever, and and I would love to go. And you're you're not even the not to um, not to diminish um, your um, 
and whatever you'll say next but i we have been invited before and when we would love to go so i hope that it happens at some point well borders are opening so maybe we can get you over here on some pan americas or something yeah that would be appropriate wouldn't it the americans to show up on some pan ams Hey, um, ABS has um, recently become mandatory here in New Zealand. Uh, we can no mm-hmm. longer sell things like the Suzuki DR650 without ABS. Um, Kawasaki have uh, brought out the KLR650 with ABS. Um, so basically, if it doesn't have ABS, it can't be sold new or imported. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it similar in California? Do you think ABS is a good thing? Is this a move forward or are we cutting our nose off to spite our face? Hmm. Yeah, good question. So, if you you said you can't buy a DRZ six fifty, or you can't buy a, you can't buy a DR six fifty without ABS. So, does that mean that you don't get DR six fifties anymore because they don't have ABS we and, and Suzuki didn't update? DR six fifties anymore, and interesting the old yeah. ones are increasing in value. Right, that'll happen. Right, you you uh, right. You, you if you cut off the supply, then all of a sudden demand. Uh, is uh, relative and goes up um yeah to answer your question i don't think that uh it's ruining anything really i mean you know on a on a on a micro level it's ruining people's access to dr650s <laughs> obviously but but in general i think abs is a good thing uh and to be you know i'm the daily rider guy right i'm the guy who who is sort of at least outwardly i i am my main focus is riding to work every day um which i don't think is true at my core but but the bottom line is that's the person i often have in mind and for someone who's just getting on their bike every day whether it's to go to the office or to visit friends or whatever it is as i live my life for many years it's hard for me to think that abs is a bad thing i think the mandates are are good and i i think that frankly I think manufacturers would lean that way anyway. I think that they probably appreciate what it, the good it does for riders and the good it does for the, the industry or the perception of motorcycles at the very least to have more safety features. You know, I I don't think that, I think that, uh, cars having airbags, you know, whether they're mandated or not car automobile manufacturers can appreciate the benefit there. And I think that there's a benefit in in abs i don't always love having abs i'll say that especially from an adventure standpoint but but uh but in general i think that people should welcome it and understand that it's evolving and getting better and better all the time and if you really really don't want it there's always a way around it tell you what the t7 i quite often um you know stop for a quick yarn turn the bike back on jump back on we're on a gravel road and come to a downhill and go hang on i haven't turned the abs off (laughs) yes yep absolutely yeah and that's and and all abs systems are not created equal either (laughs) at this point you know uh are some of them are very rudimentary and and can be a little sketchy and some of them are imperceptible they're so advanced you know Motorcyclists around New Zealand seem to have a very strong opinion, especially on social media, as to what constitutes <laughs> a motorbike, a motorcycle. Uh, it doesn't, um, and, you know, what does constitute a motorcycle and what doesn't. Let's play a game, and I'd like to uh, introduce you to some, some. I think it's Kiwi vernacular. Let's play a game <laughs> of Moto Year or Moto Nah. Okay. Now your job is to uh, to tell me what classes is a motorcycle in your world, and would you ride it? Um, I'm right. pretty sure the answer would be if you were given it to review. Yeah, you would. But um, <laughs> just in general life, would you ride it? So, uh, Moto Year or Moto Nah? A Can-Am Spider. Ooh, wow. That's a. I thought I figured for sure that was coming later. I didn't. I didn't think we were going to come right out of the gate with that. Um, wow. I'm not attracted to to them. Is it a motorcycle? Is it a motorcycle? Not really. No, I don't think so. Is it? I mean, it's got three wheels. It's sort of like is this is a motorcycle with a sidecar a motorcycle? Kind of, but it's got a sidecar on it. And if you're using another word to describe what it is, then it's not just a motorcycle, is it? So I um I appreciate it for what it is and the people that like it. Um, I'm not attracted to a motorcycle that doesn't lean over. That's not really that's not really my thing um but would i ride it uh oh yeah to your to your point would i ride it to review it absolutely would i buy one 
No. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm going Moto Nah. I think. Okay. Can Am Spider is, is not a motorcycle. Um, I don't know. So what's what's the what's the general opinion in in in, uh, in uh, New Zealand? Well, is it, do you do you call it a motorcycle? The interesting thing is in New Zealand, it can be registered as a motorcycle or it can right. be registered as a car. So you could have. Oh, two, really? Either one. You could have his and hers. One is a car, one is a motorcycle. And if one of the party doesn't have a motorcycle license, they can't ride the one registered as a motorbike. But they can they can drive the one registered as a car, exactly. even though it's the same vehicle. Yeah. Wow, that's a head screw, huh? That's wild. All right, next on the I, list, I Moto Year or Moto Nah, the Yamaha Nikon. Ah, Moto Yeah, absolutely. That's a motorcycle. It's a strange, strange motorcycle, but yes, it leans over and, you know, from the headstock back, it's very clearly a motorcycle. The tires are round. Yeah, you can you can you can lean it over. Have you ever ridden one? I have not, and and that's purely okay. due to my laziness. I haven't gone and found <laughs> one to ride, um, but I have well, been up close and personal and looked at them, and I think they're fantastic. But that's yeah, my blue the, blood right, again. Right, fair enough. You're you're a tuning fork guy. I get it. So I think as an engineering exercise, it is fantastic. It's super interesting. Um, what I think is interesting about it is that when you ride it, if you were if you were to put someone on a Nikon blindfolded so to speak and then take the blindfold off and have them ride away and have them not realize what the front end is do you think you'd be surprised at how many people would think it's just a motorcycle it doesn't feel that different which is surprising because it looks otherworldly and if you don't put the kickstand down right it's going to fall over correct which is a on as as rudimentary and sad as it is that's a pretty good test for a motorcycle i think so with that in mind then, the Yamaha Tricity or Tricity. Mm. Uh, I don't, so you're gonna have to, we don't get that here, um, but I, I know what it is. It's a, same, it's a reverse trike thing, right? So two wheels in the front, one wheel in the back, correct? Yeah, so if, if the Nikon it, is a motorcycle because it doesn't fall over, uh, it does fall <laughs> over, then the Tricity right. potentially won't be because it will stand up on its own. Two front wheels, one rear wheel. Right. But it does lean. So you can lock out the steering so it doesn't tip over. So it's like a Piaggio MP3. So you can lock it out and it won't tip over. But when once you're moving more than three miles an hour, it unlocks and, and you lean over, right? Exactly. Hmm. Interesting. Um, well, you know, you get into the argument of like what what's a scooter and what's a motorcycle, which is a whole other kind of ball of wax, whole other podcast, you might say. But... I'm going to go moto, yeah. Motos, motor scooter, yeah. Definitely. Okay, so it's more of a scooter, but we're going to go with a yes. The other one on the, well, yeah. another one on the list was the Piaggio MP3, which is basically the same. Yeah, okay. Um, um, so yeah, and I have ridden one of those, and, I, and, I, and, I, and it's, it feels like riding a big scooter. And, I, and my opinion of scooters in general is that they are motorcycles. So, ipso facto, moto, yeah. Okay. Uh, the Honda Grom and the Honda Navi right are they motorcycles i put them together because they're very similar <laughs> yet different yes right so aesthetically you know next to each other on a showroom floor someone who doesn't know about motorcycles might even think they're the same thing right i mean they're pretty they're, they're pretty similar but those of us who know motorcycles know that they are quite different underneath um and a grom is definitely a motorcycle that's a hard a hard moto yeah i mean that's a that that's a it's just a small motorcycle that's all it is but it's definitely a motorcycle and it's and it's great fun the navi is basically a scooter dressed up to look like a motorcycle which based on what i said before about how i in general i would say i would call scooters motorcycles because you know uh because they have an engine in their cycles <laughs> um uh so yeah I, th- I think that the navi's a little motorcycle yeah moto yeah for the navi also right even though we're getting close to the edge and the last one on the list, it's kind of two, but really only one. And you've ridden them recently. The Honda mm-hmm. CT90 slash CT110. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if a Honda Navi is a motorcycle, if I'm given that the nod for Moto Yeah, then I got a, then, then a, then a CT90 or, or a Trail 125 or a CT110 or any of, any of the iterations of Honda Trail, that's got to be a, that's got to be a yes. I mean, you got a shifter, 
you got you got a handlebar you got it's a little motorcycle right i don't know it's a slush box transmission but yes in 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 the opinion of the officials at courts moto yeah <laughs> outstanding so that's th- thank you very much for playing the first edition of moto year or moto nah <laughs> oh was that was that was the inaugural one okay right on cool fair enough what about did, did i did, did my opinion differ from yours at all in in any in any way or not really but then i'm i, I don't conform to what the angry people on social media would say I see. So what? So give me your opinion, and then give me the angry people's opinion. Okay. So yeah, I'm Can, curious. Can Am Spider? I agree. I would ride it. I would review it. I probably wouldn't buy one. It doesn't. It's. It doesn't lean into the corners enough for me to think it's a, a motorbike. And I also you okay. can't. Um, I, I find that you probably can't lane split with one. Ah, true. And that's legal in New Zealand. I take it. That is. Yeah, uh, lane splitting and filtering are, bo- are both legal in New Zealand. Uh, Yamaha Nikon, definitely a motorcycle, Uh, you know, uh, MT09 rear end, Um, they've done some trickery with the front, Piaggio MP3, I would put that in the scooter, and the Tricity as well, I put that in the scooter kind of bed, and interestingly both of them are the same as the uh, Spider in New Zealand can be registered as cars or motorcycles, and the way to tell the difference is if they've got a front number plate, they're a car. Wow. That is a real curveball. I wouldn't have expected that. So you would say they're not motorcycles, they're scooters, which are two different things in your opinion. Yes. Okay. All right. Fair enough. But scooters to me are the baby brother of motorcycles. So they still come into the family. (laughs) Okay. You still give them a wave when you see them on the road. Yeah. Um, Unless they've got a front number plate. (laughs) Pretty much exactly. In the same way that a, um, a Tenere 700 fits into the MT family. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, that's I, I see where you're going with that. Um, and then what about the rest of them? Uh, Honda Grumman, Honda, Honda Navi. I haven't seen a Navi in person apart from your content that's come out. Uh, the Grom is definitely a motorcycle. The Grom and the yeah. Monkey, I would have one. Oh, absolutely, for sure. So now talk me through the angry internet uh, people, what, what what do they say? Do they do they differ from our opinion at all? Can Am Spider, no. Yamaha Nikon, no. Piaggio MP3, no. Honda Grom, wow. maybe, depending on whether you're talking to uh, small bike enthusiasts or not. And the Tri City, <laughs> it's got three wheels, so no. Interesting. Wow. And I assume a no for the Navi because it's a because it's a scooter. It's a scooter drivetrain. Yeah. Anything that's a scooter in the angry internet world is not a motorcycle. Wow, I'm surprised to hear the hate for the Grom. I feel like I feel like there are two kinds of people in the world. There are people that don't like Groms and there are people that have ridden one. The first time I saw a Grom, I was sitting at a red light and he cut in in front of me, hanging a right, um, and I was on my morning commute and I went, mm-hmm. wow, I want one of those. <laughs> so it took all of two seconds for you to be hook, line, and sinker sold. First time I saw one, absolutely. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Hey, um, we're we're coming to uh, the end of our list of questions, and thank you very much for your time. We've we've covered forty minutes easy easily already. Um, Recently, we had a celebration of all things motorcycling here in New Zealand. We call it Shiny Side Up. It's it's underpinned by a couple of uh, government organisations. One of them is our accident compensation uh, outfit, which um, I don't think you've got in the states. Uh, basically, if we come off our motorcycle, they pay for our health care. So they're working ah. to, uh, to upskill motorcyclists here in New Zealand. Um, training. So uh, they, they, they fund motorcycle training. We call it Ride Forever. There are three different um, levels. There's your bronze, your silver, and your gold. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have any form of motorcycle training beyond what you need to do to get your license in the States? Um, and on that, personally, how do you keep your skills sharp, whether you're, you know, gearing up to go and do some racing or just generally riding your motorcycle? Right. Uh, good question. So, uh, the answer to your first question is yes, there is auxiliary motorcycle training here, but nothing that's mandatory as far as I know. Uh, it's very common for people to take, um, what we call the msf course sort of colloquially which was uh there are some other organizations that sometimes the acronym is a little bit different but basically the motorcycle safety foundation i believe was either the first or the most prominent group to start this uh training class and basically is what i did when i was when i first could get my license i went and i took a 
it's like a Friday evening classroom session and then it's a weekend of riding around a parking lot on a little motorcycle and some some more classroom sessions and you learn about brake pressure and counter steering and you know basic motorcycle stuff and uh when you go to get your license if you have taken that course you get a you get a small break on your insurance um and and you sort of you get a you get a sort of recognition that you have taken this course from from the state or at least that's how it was when i did it and it's very common for people to do that especially someone who doesn't know how to ride because they teach you how to ride basically you just start out they start out by pushing you and you know like it's really really basic um but there isn't uh any really truly mandatory stuff i think you can just go to the department of motor vehicles and take a test and then do it you know demonstrate that you can ride and then you can purchase a gsxr 1000 or a or a or a nikon or anything else you deem a motorcycle so um, so from so a learner you can do a test and then get on a nikon yep there's no yeah or a hayabusa or any uh, any any anything yeah you, there's there's no there's no there's no tiered license process there's no um real rules around uh how good you need to be at doing or how much experience you need to 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 show to do the thing which is a maybe a little surprising um and uh as far as i think the second question you asked was about keeping my skills sharp uh and i guess you know seat time is the thing that really i think makes you, that that's the thing that improves you the most in my opinion um and diversity of riding is a big big piece of it i think that's sometimes occasionally <laughs> once in a blue moon people are surprised at um uh, my, my skill on a motorcycle or airy skill or something like that and i think they undervalue how much we've learned from riding so many different kinds of bikes you know we've we've ridden just many many different types of bike to work and back you know just on a regular sort of commute basis around los angeles or um, from home to office wherever that is and then we've ridden lots of different dirt bikes in the dirt and we've ridden supermoto bikes and we've been to motocross tracks even though we're garbage motocross, motocross riders and we spent lots of you know many years road racing and um and we've we've ridden scooters for miles and miles and hours and hours and and mini bikes and parking lots and all of these things um you know really contribute to to a larger um understanding of vehicle dynamics and 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 of 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 uh of skill to, to put it to put it bluntly and i think that's really the thing that that i value the most is is trying different stuff and i mean if i was actually going to train to to have my skills as sharp as possible i'd probably go to a supermoto track and spend a day there um and then do a flat track school something like that um you know slide around on motorcycles feel the feel feel yourself out of control or almost out of control that's the kind of thing that really i think makes you so much more confident on a daily basis in my opinion do you subscribe to the at get principle all the gear all the time <sighs> oh wow the short answer is no i don't but the longer answer is that i have pretty strict standards for myself when i ride a motorcycle um uh, over the i mean pants and long sleeves is essentially a, a must i always wear gloves i always wear a helmet um i don't remember the last time i rode without footwear that had over the ankle protection you know um i i base it on the situation to be honest you know i mean if i if i am riding from my house you know a couple miles over a couple you know empty surface streets on a sunday evening to the grocery store like i said to grab a you know oh we need a a quarter milk and um and such and such to for this recipe and i said oh no problem i'll go and i pop my bike out of the garage um and i i might not have kevlar reinforced riding pants um it might just be the jeans that i was wearing and i i just put on some riding sneakers and gloves and a mesh jacket and my helmet and i go and if i were going down the freeway or if i was going to spend I mean, even if i was just going to work but if i was going to go 80 miles an hour on the freeway to get to somewhere a few hours away i wouldn't wear just regular denim just regular jeans i would think that 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 was a bad call but down the street and back yeah you know I, I let it slide so i i do i do make compromises here and there 
Um, but, but it sounds in like general, you're, you're subscribing to another th- a theory which uh, we've talked about recently on the podcast, which is you're dressing for the slide, not for the ride. So if, you, if, if, you're, <laughs> if you're not yeah. going to be sliding far up the road, you're only doing 50 kilometres or 30 miles an hour, then it sounds like you're dressing appropriately. Right. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. Absolutely. You and 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 that's what you need to ask yourself if you're having this conversation with yourself or with other people. Have you ever have you hit the ground? I think the people that I see riding in T-shirts or or sandals or shorts or whatever haven't maybe haven't hit asphalt at 50 kilometers an hour, 80 kilometers an hour, 100 kilometers an hour or 150 kilometers an hour. Um, And it will it's violent and bad and 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 you have to ask yourself if you're if you're comfortable with that and so that's what i do yeah when i go down to the grocery store and i don't put on reinforced jeans i just wear the jeans i was wearing that day i i have a conversation with myself in my head if you crash if you fall off you're not going to have any knee armor you're just going to have this one layer of of levi's or whatever it is between you and the and the and the pavement and 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 sometimes i think nope i'm not ready to do that and i put on better better pants and sometimes i think yeah that's okay. I'm making, I'm making that decision and I feel comfortable with the speeds I'm going and the situation that I'm in. So yeah, like you said, it's a, it's case by case. Um, and I think you just have to be very honest about how nasty it is or can be to crash a motorcycle. If you're going to, you know, if you're going to have that, (laughs) if you're going to have that outlook. Zach Quartz, um, Revzilla daily rider, CTXP, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and joining us here for Kiwi Rider Podcast. Really appreciate your your time and your effort to to join us and your words and your stories. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, well, this was a, this was a treat, Ray. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for getting in touch, and um, thanks to any and all of you who were listening to this. And uh, yeah, ride safe. Just before we dive, uh, before we let you go, uh, how can people find your content? What have you got coming up? your time to uh to to promote whatever you've got going on oh the shameless plug section of the show well you've done a great job to be honest um yeah uh revzilla youtube channel is where all the the video uh content lives um we also have a a blog where we have a a story that goes live uh five days a week at revzilla.com slash common tread so you can look for the common tread blog i wrote a story about that rm80 as my first motorcycle i wrote a story about um my my personal ktm uh, if you're interested in those bikes that that's where those stories go and um and we have a good team of people who put together those stories uh on common tread so i'd highly recommend that website as well um and uh yeah if you if you want to follow me on social media um god help you but i am at zach Quartz. Outstanding. This has been Kiwi Rider Podcast. My name is Ray Heron. That's Zach Quartz. Thank you once again for your time. Keep the rubber side down, throttle on, and we'll catch you in seven days' time. Yeah.